podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Whistleblowers podcast. Uh, I'm Mark Smith. I'm here with host, co-host, I don't know what we call it anymore, Martin Gritton. Thanks, Mark. Nice right, to be here. Yeah, really happy to be here. And we have a guest, don't we, Martin? We do. It's great, it? great to have Gareth Dobson in the room. Gareth again. Dobson. We've just finished recording the podcast, haven't we, Gareth? We have, and it was a belter. It was a belter. What do we talk about? England? Uh, yeah. Scotland? International. We did Inter- a little yes, bit of that. We ranked the five nations. That was good. We ranked the five nations. Uh, we talked about England, Scotland. Yeah, we talked about all those. And then we talked about... Uh, Tottenham, Liverpool coming up this weekend. Yep. And, and driving also, your Porsche into a ditch. Not my Porsche. No. Andre Wisdom's Porsche. Andre Mark Wisdom's. hasn't got a Porsche. <laughs> Mark will never have a Porsche. Mark, Alfie. Oh, uh, I didn't want this to start this way. Alfie. What? Alfie. Uh, well, I got a missed call off Alfie, so I've, he might have left us a voicemail. Alfie Brown, uh, stand up comedian, Liverpool fan. He gets, oh, I bet uh, he loves the international break. cheery. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he makes an appearance, so listen out for that. Chuckles Brown, is that? Chuckles Brown, we call him. <laughs> Enjoy the show. You should probably start with an Englishman and a Scotsman walking into a podcast studio. Well, we are starting with that, because we're rolling. Uh, is that how we're starting? Well, it's better than Borat jokes. Yeah, that's fine. No, that's where fine. I thought we were. Did well, you enjoy those, Mark? The Borat jokes. Mm. Didn't mention Borat once in those texts between us. No. Didn't I mention him. All I, said, all I said was, you're losing to a, a country that's best known from an impression of Britain's like fourth best comedian. Mm. And you, you took that as Borat. I didn't mean Borat. I, was just a, I meant Peter Kay. I just didn't deserve a response. <laughs> I, I, I think the most galling thing is Scotland lost to a country that wasn't even technically in Europe. Oh. See, that feels like a technicality you might be able to challenge. Mm-hmm. I should maybe flag up what we're talking about here. Uh, so this is, um, what is the date today? It's Tuesday, the 26th of March. It is. So we've just had the um, the second of uh, the games of the, the Europe, what is it? National, international games of the last qualifiers. few days. The qualifiers, yeah. The, I mean, for a start, let's address this, because there's so many internationals and different things going on, the Nations League, friendlies, and then the actual qualifiers for the Euros. Are you... Either one of you, are you bored of it yet? Can you happily tune into a game and properly concentrate, or do you not care? Not anymore. Not after that. Not after that terrible result. Oh, I, I, I don't. I think the Nations League injected a little bit of something into it because it made those friendlies interesting. Yeah. You know, the round robin format meant that actual good teams were playing good teams, and it meant something straight after the World Cup, essentially, wasn't it? So we were like, oh, this is great. It was good. I, it was there was a nice continuation of like actual competitive international football and it felt like because so normally after a major international tournament there's like a reset it's like there's new you know it feels like your team's new and you're starting back over again yeah. but there was this kind of nice continuity and I think if you were say Germany you were really pleased about that because you came off the back of a terrible tournament and if back you're back on the horse immediately back on the horse within yeah. you know 80 minutes of being terrible you're back on it but um, and for England obviously there's you know, a chance to actually progress and sort of play good teams rather than having to wait two years to yeah. to do that again. And, and I, I think it's one of the best, but well. one of the best international performances ever against Spain. Against Spain, Went three. Well, that was what a game that was. And it's yeah, and you can see that's helped going into the qualifiers. I mean, England probably didn't need much help because their group's pretty shambolic. But to go and turn over two teams and put 10 goals in a few days is... doesn't matter who you are. That's still You've still got to 
beats the team you're playing. And, and they did it in a, in a certain way with a certain style. Started quite slowly, I think, both games in the first 20. But it's more encouraging to look at the the youth and the, this, the average age of that squad coming through. When Henderson came on last night against Montenegro, he was like, who's this old guy? And you Google it, and he's like, 27 or something. He's, not, he's, like, he's a young man still. Googling the Hendersons. That's the name of your sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> but they, uh, this is, well, this is the thing, isn't it? It's, it's not, that's the whole thing. It's not a new England. It's the fact there's continuity about this England from youth team up. It's like Southgate's there. He was the one that brought these guys through as young England players. He's now bringing them through as an England manager. It doesn't feel like it's kind of flash in the pan stuff. It feels like there's a, a long, slow build-up that yeah. kind of people haven't seen. And you also get the feeling with Southgate that he would, I, I'm, I'm sort of, speculating here but it feels like he's the sort of person who if you'd played for England under 17s 19s 21s whatever even if you're not playing much at all or even if championship potentially he might give you a go with people that you know and players that you know and have done for years and that's something that the Germans did for a long time and they had tough tournaments as a result of you know hitting the hard reset and the same as the French they yeah did that. obviously maybe a little bit further back with you know, after their disastrous non-qualifying in 94, mm. um, they just recreated their academy and brought players through over a few generations. I mean, I know they've had bad tournaments, but the French are probably the most sustained model of having waves of talented players. Yeah, they are consistent. Players. Yeah. I mean, they have consistently good players. They're not consistently effective national team. But in, that, in a cycle, for example, they'll always have a successful team within oh, totally. a within a nine a eight or nine or ten year For sure. period. Um, what is it then about this England side or this or this more accurately this England setup? Can't just be Southgate. So what is it? How much of it do you put down to the new academy at Burton, for example? Um, I'm not sure about that. I, actually, I don't speak with any knowledge, but because most of the players I think you look at have been trained by their clubs and have come through a club academy system. But I think the nucleus is that they seem to be sort of largely unshackled by any past failure, any sense of, you know, being worried about what it plays for England, not being sort of riven by these these sort of club divisions. Yep. Um, less cliquey. And- less cliquey. I mean, you know, the stories are fairly famous in the 2000s about the Manchester United and the, the Liverpool players especially. Um, I mean, I, I think bringing in half the Spurs team is probably what's done, really. <laughs> um, even, more even, even Eric still, yeah. Dyer. Yeah, there is, there's more to come. I mean, I think we talked about it before, Martin, but just the depth of the talent pool now of England, when you look at, if you just picked a team of under-23s, excluding those that were playing over the last few days, you, you've got the likes of Will Hughes, who we talk about all the time, James Madison, Phil Foden. These are players that are young coming through I can't remember being an England fan and ever having this amount of sort of positivity about the side. No, actually, I mean, uh, thinking about it, I think the big difference on the field is, so England have always had gluts of good players to very good players, but this is the first time I can remember where they've had a glut of players in a really decisive area, i.e. up front, especially with the wide attackers, which seems to be such a key element of football these days. Yeah. Your wide forwards, and then you've got three, three players per side. You probably have like six really, really good yeah, you know, attacking wingers, wide forwards, whatever you want to call them, you know, Sancho, Sterling. And we've got tens now as well, though. That's, that's yeah. the other thing, which we never really had for a long, long time, I think. I mean, but- it's great to have a, you know, a glut of really good number sixes or two world-class keepers at one position, but ultimately, you know, I think you need talented technical players, and for the once, we have them in abundance. Yeah, yeah. it's a great time to be an England fan. Um, 
As you say, ten, ten, 10 goals in, in two games and just the one conceded uh, with a young side. Very exciting. Uh, Martin, you've not spoken too much so far. Being just a proud just drinking it in. Just loving this uh, yeah. really heady England, getting drunk on this England chat. But as an outsider, my... as an outsider what, what do you... In three, <coughs> give me three words that, that you'd sum this England No, I'm going to give a few sentences like you did. Well, do three, three words. Strictly and for three well, words. then I'm going to let you talk after that, I... Martin. But I want three words that you, that you think sum up the England setup at the moment. <laughs> Uh, as I said, I think three words. That, um, I think the interesting well, thing that's between three words. these players okay. and the players play the game, game, Martin, is that they're more kind of robust off the pitch, but maybe slightly more slight, fragile players on the pitch in terms of you know, these are young guys that are coming through. Whereas the the kind of the the golden era of players were maybe bigger personalities and a lot more pressure on them. These guys are a bit more kind of carefree and they play with that sort of attitude. But the way they deal with the media and uh, off the pitch, is, it's... Savvy. Well, yeah, but also they don't seem to give a fuck. It's brilliant. It's like, do you think that, um, uh, like the way that Sterling dealt with that, yeah, you know, it's, he's not going into. Everyone kept bringing up the, and we're not going to go into the racism thing because it's been dealt with brilliantly by Gareth Southgate and the rest. Much of the team. better people than yeah, us, exactly correct. <laughs> but um, the way that he dealt with that was just like so, you know, brilliant because he's obviously leaving it to, you know, hopefully UEFA doing something more serious about it. But but things when they've come up in the past, it just keeps getting, you know, front of the page, back of the page. Uh, on every headline, and it's like nipped in the bud. Let's get, let's get back to the football, you know. So Sterling um, and uh, the Man United players as a squad. I think the way that when the shackles have come off for them, to use your expression, there, Gareth, they, their kind of reflection towards Solskjaer's management style yep. in the same way that England are doing it with Southgate. It does feel very similar. A lot of similarities. You did between... three words. Three words, man. Three, word, three, three words. Three words. Oh my god. <laughs> Yours, the ones, the ones I'll pick from your little monologue there would be fuck, that's the first thing I choose. Always. Swearing on the podcast. Very naughty. And then two other ones that I can't remember. That's great. Yeah, uh, thanks. But there are similarities though between Southgate and um, Solskjaer. I think there seems to be a lot, just a lot of uh, sort of positive energy coming to the, into, the, into the club or country and just... I, yeah, I, I think there's, you know, putting my pop psychologist hat on, you know, it, it feels like the days of... Uh, ruling uh, a dressing room with an iron fist that are over and it's about encouraging talents and yeah. saying, you know, allowing them to express themselves, making them feel positive, you know, positive reinforcement as opposed to negative. I mean, uh, going back to, to Mr. Football over there, you, I'm guessing you've had a few dressing rooms, one side and the other. Uh, so what did you react to? And, you know, do you think that it's changed as well? Do you think positive is more helpful? It's... It's in, uh, you make a great point about the, the technically gifted players. They're just better coached now, so that they're understanding. When you look at the way that they pass it and move it, uh, it's there's so much energy about them going forward that fits the shape that they're playing. Um, there's almost this autonomy where they know what they're supposed to be doing in every area of the pitch, which I don't think has always been the case, particularly with players that have come into systems. It's handy that most teams play this system now yeah. because there is that understanding. You know, in England, we're all often restricted to picking players just because they were very good at that one role. So the left back or the right back, or the, you know, that, or that left midfield nonsense that just no one could find that space. Well, you know, that's, that, that was a complete fallacy and it probably made it more play in the, the, the players' heads. You know, when you had Steve Guppy there all along and he could have just slotted right in. Well, we've we stuck Paul Scholes in there for about four years. Yeah. 
He wasn't bad, though. I mean, of course, I was one of the best players we've produced, but not as a left winger. No, Madness. And now we've just got a glut of players that can... You saw Hudson-Odoi and Sterling swapping over every sort of 15 minutes during that game, and it was like, well, yeah, they're fluid. They can play where they want. And this is excluding Sancho entirely, and Rashford, and Lingard. None of them were there. Uh, so from a lot of positivity in the room about England uh, to the flip side of the very similar coin in Scotland. Martin, you're probably best suited to talk well, about this. Uh, Three words. Kazakhstan, very good. <laughs> okay, good. Give them some credit. Right, we're at a break now. Where we... No, go on. No, no, I, I genuinely thought that they, they played us off the park. We took them, you know, I don't don't have any time for Alex McLeish. I don't think he picks the best players that we've got. I don't... Is he the issue? Let's uh, get away from the Kazakhstan game in particular. To be honest, cause... we've been in a, in a rut. Um, and when I saw England play against, was it Belgium, when we got stuffed? I mean, we started brightly in England, uh, sorry, Scotland. Scotland. But when we played against Belgium, we got stuffed, like, in the nations. The, the thing that was a friendly off the back of that was, like, 4-0 after about 20 minutes or something. Mm. I was just... Just the way that they're kind of applying themselves. It's really sad because I bang on about Scottish football in terms of the domestic league. All of the teams have got young Scottish guys playing and there is that kind of young Scottish players coming through that, that will come to fruition. But they've got to have a dynamic, progressive manager there. And we yank that. Absolutely. Yeah, this is, that same squad of players with a Southgate or a Solskjaer, you'd imagine, yeah, would be at least... At least they'd lose in a dignified, <laughs> in a dignified a way. They're, they're in a heroic, a heroic they'd failure. Play, they'd play the Scottish way. way the but brave genuinely, heart. I think I think for for international football, if you're not winning stuff, and you accept that you're not going to win the major things, then you want to just see some sort of green shoots, some encouragement within your play, and you're never going to get that with McLeish. So I don't I don't know what what's happening there. You're telling me that like I don't know this. Mark. Yeah, I know. But I mean, luckily they beat San Marino. There's kind of. A, they're in between two posts. So Scotland seem to have at least a handful of sort of good young players, but they're short of a progressive, positive coach. But at least you have something where maybe in a few years you have a different coach or they can even exceed, you know, Big Eck. But, and, and on the other <laughs> side, you have someone like uh, Northern Ireland who are brilliant because, you know, they are that classic version of this is what we've got and we will maximise yeah, it. Yeah, correct. And then at least neither are you know, the worst of both worlds, which is the Republic of Ireland, who have no players, and Mick McCarthy. Mm. Um, so at least there's, you know, if you're, if you're doing the kind of the top to bottom of, uh, of the home nations, as we probably shouldn't call them anymore, you know, you're not, uh, you're not as bad as the southern side of Ireland, who aren't even the home so, nation. So, OK, well, rank them then. Rank this, uh, the home uh, nations. England, Wales... Northern Ireland, Scotland, and the Republic of Ireland. He's nailed it. He's absolutely nailed it. Uh, You mentioned Wales there, and uh, off-air beforehand, you were talking about them a little bit. I mean, I'm quite excited about them. I've always had a... I think, you know, they've always been the most interesting kind of team on on in the British Isles in terms of the amount of quality they've had. Yeah. A lot of not quite there, and then it all blossomed into this amazing success in 2016, but... You know, they've got another set of young players going through. You know, Dan James Swansea looks like the, the quickest man I've ever seen. He's absolutely ridiculous, yeah. and you know, had a and had a great FA Cup run. And then you've got Woodburn, um, you know, who's still on Liverpool's books, right? Yeah, yeah. But he's currently playing Harry Wilson. Harry Wilson, of course. Well. Um, and Padu. There is there is a, a yeah. There's a, a bunch a of, of good players coming through. They've got you know their senior players are still of a good age. Aaron Ramsey is only 28. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know Ben Davies is around there and he's a he's a good player. So 
you know, they've probably got another tournament or two, potentially. But we talked about managers and what they can bring out of their, their squad at international level. Is Ryan Giggs the right guy for Wales? I don't know, he's an enigma, right? I'm not sure anyone seems no to one have has a clear a idea. No. no. Um, he's obviously, you know, he, he gets the icon boost because he's Ryan Giggs. Right, yeah. um, although, having said that, given, you know, he wasn't a player who turned up hello high water for every Welsh no, national he, he missed all the players. Yeah. I wonder if if there is more of an ambivalence amongst uh, Welsh people than maybe we think. Grits, uh, is Ryan Giggs the sort of guy that you'd like to have been your manager? No, no, not a chance. Off the pitch, similarities. Well, but on I, the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> wow, softly spoken. He's getting you. stuck right in the international I break. Anything. I said anything. Um, thanks, mate. Uh, no, I just don't. Uh, it's we're forgetting that Wales lost to Ireland in a yeah. in the playoff yeah. for the I mean that's pretty bad <laughs> considering on the the ranking side of things particularly coming off the back of the Euros um, as you say Wales are a kind of enigmatic team where they have got this talent and um, it's great to watch them sometimes but there, there needs to be something at stake for Wales and like because quali- the qualifier wasn't even the game against Ireland that obviously they were probably <laughs> going to lose the next one the way that Ireland did um, it was it Norway. I think it was Sweden that they played in the next round. It was Scandinavian team and they, they, they battered them. But the point being that if, it, if it's a big occasion, those big players turn up for Wales. And I don't think you need to coach that. I just think you need to pick the right ones. I mean, uh, Robson Canu, players like that, that will pop up for them because, again, nothing's yep. expected of them. And that, that, is right. that is what the Republic of Ireland have had a lot, but I think Wales have kind of swapped roles with them now. Agreed. Yeah, and yeah. Wales, Wales had those Robson Carney types who were squad players who could dip in and out. Yep. But Ireland seems to be comprised almost entirely of what you'd want to be peripheral players yeah. and they're all getting a large amount of game time for the national side anyway we're going to take a break now but I've just got a missed call actually from uh, Alfie Brown that's gone straight to voicemail yeah. uh, so we'll see what he's got to say it's Alfie Brown Liverpool fan and comedian oh, nice this is the Vodafone voicemail service for the whistleblowers please leave a message after the tone when you finish recording please hang up or press the hash key for more options hi guys uh, I tried to call, but, well, you know how voicemail works, don't you? I, I just thought I'd try and uh, vent slightly and uh, soothe my quaking anger about how incredibly boring international football is. I, I can't stand it. I can't stand England fans, and I can't really get to grips with the... I mean, first of all, in terms of geographical uh, like geopolitical history we're the bad guys I can't cheer for us and I, also John Terry's played for England how are you meant to get behind this you spend your whole time hating somebody and then find out that anyway please just talk about club football and international football people who have never played together trying to puzzle out who to pass to in a shirt that they don't like wearing and they're not getting paid. It's all just a nightmare. But I hope you're really well. Okay, bye. Another one of your fun friends there, Mark? Yeah, that was Alfie Brown, um, a Liverpool fan, available and, uh, an for, England fan. Available for children's parties. Uh, no, Martin. It's a bit too bleak for that, isn't it? <laughs> uh, he is a stand-up comedian, a brilliant stand-up comedian. Uh, you should go and see him whenever he's on. Go on his Instagram, uh, which he hasn't actually sent me what it is. Yeah, thanks, Alfie, though. Cheers, nice Alfie. To hear from him. Uh, <laughs> Uh, let me find it. Hang on. Liverpool fan, though, so he should be happy about that. 
now football's back on. Which... So I've just looked in his Instagrams actually at Alfie Brown birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. What his Instagram? You can get him on Instagram. <laughs> Alfie Brown comedian. Uh, go on there. He's got a lot of followers. Nice. I don't know if that's a, is that good. Great yeah, bit of marketing for Alfie there. Really Mark. Go and see do stand up though. He's a good stand up. Is good he stand-up. funnier than you? Is he funnier than me? Yeah. Let's doesn't go like to a those break. questions. He doesn't like those questions. We're going to go to a break. <laughs> Tough question. Oh God, he's breaking down. <laughs> The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Ladbrokes. Uh, Barclays is back. Gareth, fat, happy about that? Very, very excited. Uh, back to fantasy football. Yeah. Yep. Back to caring about players I don't really care about. Yeah. Um, and also getting to be really stressed about Spurs v Liverpool, which is probably the banner game of the weekend. Yeah, so Alfie touched on it there in the uh, in the voicemail how he hates international football. And I thought we'd sort of got past this recently that actually we don't, we don't look at yeah, mm. but we don't look at the breaks anymore as being like oh no Premier League anymore. But it still is the case, it isn't really it? Is. As excited as we are for England, it still feels like well I want to watch Premier League. Yeah. And now we're back. And we're back with a bang. Liverpool Spurs, are you there? Uh only uh, uh emotionally. Okay. And, is that Liverpool? Uh, is it Anfield? It's it is at Anfield. Yeah. Obviously, where last year it was probably the game of the season. I think that was one with the last minute penalties, right? Oh, yeah, the, was the, there. the the, the two penalties yeah. and the uh, in between the Wanyama Fwam Wanyama Hammer. Yes, yeah. still uh, the best the best absolute Fwam pro scene since Jim like Michael Essien won against I Arsenal. It. I remember oh, it. Heck of a hit. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's very exciting. I uh, uh, quite pessimistic. Having seen Spurs be fairly mediocre and not with many games, I think uh, uh, Liverpool, in theory, should win, right? But then I guess Liverpool haven't exactly been super consistent or, or no. playing particularly uh, convincingly over the last month. They've had you know one or two you know good wins, and they've had some very very. They're a different side to last year, though, aren't they? they? They can now rely so much more on their back four that they don't feel the need to go and score three or four every game. They're not as fluent going forward, but. You know, they know how to win games now. I mean, even the Fulham game before the break, where they, they were pretty poor, they ground it out. That's what, that's what they've wanted the, to do for years. They're one of the few teams, actually, that can do that now, that can get a lead and defend it. Because mm. there's not many teams that do that. I mean, even you look at, what was it, Atletico Madrid against... Uh, what, Juventus. Yeah, Juventus. You've got teams like that were notorious for just being able to shut a game down. It doesn't happen anymore. No. It doesn't happen at any level. But Liverpool have got that in them. Because City don't really have... City are get-attable. But uh, yeah. but they, they'll overwhelm you with just quality. But at the same time, yeah, Liverpool really do have that. And I, the additions that they've made have just been so kind of they permeated throughout the team haven't they it's not just been about those individuals it's what they brought out and the guys around them but the international breaks does that what sort of effect does that have on a, on a player can that sort of be a reset button and you you regroup and you get ready for the last straight the final straight of the season or can it disrupt a little bit of um, fluency that you had I think that it, dis- it disrupts you when things don't go well I find it quite amusing that, that people were trying to get Liverpool fans because of Serge Gnabry kind of the goal against Van Dijk that he scored and it's like, oh, yeah. come on, he's just defending. It's just a normal thing. But, it's it's going to happen. Yeah, it? exactly. But if, if England, it can certainly, I would imagine that it would knock confidence if players weren't as together as they were. But that England one, I mean, 
that's that's something that you look at the Spurs Spurs and the City players in that game. That's the one thing that is is the major Liverpool players influence in that. Apart from Henderson, really, then not really. No, so Spurs will take that momentum in, I think, and yeah. you and also that rest for Spurs is is vital because you've got a lot of guys coming back now, haven't you? Perhaps to full fitness. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, Spurs have had fewer games in the last month than they've probably had for a couple of years now, which should be a positive. But having said that. The entire collection of Liverpool fullbacks seem to have the international break off. Uh, Trent Alexander Arnold uh, was held out, and then uh, Robertson as well was had a toothache, so he couldn't go to. Uh, he had wisdom Kazakhstan. teeth removed, though, didn't he, or something? Was yes. it not? I, yeah, no, yeah, it was, it was an abscess. It, it, it was it was something terrible. Well, actually, I, I'm, I'm being the only position unfair. that we could get away with is having Kieran Tierney as his backup. We're literally just left backs. You've got two excellent That's players, it. and they're yeah. both left backs. That's yeah. it. Like wisdom teeth coming through. They're just, you know, solid. Vying for the same position. It's, it's kind of a shame that Liverpool don't have that uh, wisdom player anymore because there was definitely some joint puns you could find. Yeah, he was a Derby for a while. In fact, he's still a Derby. He's still a Derby now. Is he? But he's on the bench now. Mm. He, uh, Andre Wisdom was famous because uh, when he moved to Derby, he tried to drive like, some really fancy 4x4, maybe a Porsche or something like that. He followed the sat-nav and got it stuck in some mud. And had to get it. <laughs> it's a real championship tale. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? it, it would never happen. And a metaphor. It would never happen. As soon as you get into a championship side, that's what happens to <laughs> You're you. You're in a ditch. <laughs> um, but I, I think that it's yeah, it's probably quite tough to call. I, hopefully Spurs will show up and, you know, they've had good 45 minutes in the last month, but they've not been able to do it for yeah. across the game. But hopefully they'll rise to occasion. I guess the one question I have is, which team do you think of the two will have more of half an eye on the upcoming Champions League games. Do you think for Spurs now that that's the the glittering possibility? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think the I think they're probably equipped to be able to look at both games and and, and take them on on the merit, but at the same time you have to you've got an opportunity to win in the the Champions League now, you know. So, do you save your best players for that? So, we'll, well, we'll see. We'll but see from the selection players because I think Porto is. They're a good side porter, but it's as close to a gimme as there is in this round. So I think they can afford to rest. You know, I'm not saying rest half the squad, but you could probably rest a Salah or a Mane type. Well, at this point, you'd be resting Mane because he's mm. the one who's absolutely lighting it up. And yeah. Salah, I, I'm not really sure whether it's he needs more games, he needs a bit more confidence, or he's just having a rough patch. Yeah. But yeah, Mane is the one who's kind of. Actually, the Mane and Firmino are, are really yeah. ones pulling, but Mane especially is looking insensational. Because I wouldn't rest any of them. That's the thing. I'd no. almost no. I'd say that this end of the season, for that reason, Gareth, when you talk about uh, Salah, and they've not had great consistent seasons because they've had niggly injuries, but they've still done all right on paper. But you may as well just play them now through and just look after them, game match management and training and kind of give them the proper rest. It's injuries that you want to avoid and injuries are as innocuous. And I know what you're saying, more time on the pitch, there's more chance of getting injured. But I think that kind of in terms of their sharpness, unless yeah. they're really dying, the best thing as a player for me was getting brought off. If you're having a really good game, you've got a big game coming up, and you've locked the game in after 60 minutes, getting subbed off after right. 60, 70 minutes when you're 2-0 two, two up or 3-0 up, relying on the rest of the team to kind of carry you through. It's, it's a good feeling as a player because sitting on the bench, you actually, you do the warm-up, you're not, you're not going to talk about a rest. It's mm. like, a, what, an hour of competitive football? And these guys are so highly tuned at the minute that it isn't really, it, the only rest is to avoid injury. I mean, and uh, one more thing with Liverpool getting into sort of theoretical uh, 
tactics chat, uh, there's this idea that they've been playing slightly less intense, you know, Gengen press football this year because in theory they want to get to this point of the season and peak. Yeah. Do you think that's just kind of uh, that's true or that's kind of quasi pundit punditry <laughs> nonsense? I mean, I think there's probably an element of it. They haven't played the same way as they did last year, where they did gas out quite early. Whether, I, don't, I don't know how by design that is, but it feels like something is different this year. And they could well go on a run now. They could well go and win. How many games are left? Ten. Nine? Ten? They could win all of them. You just, you, I, I cannot call what's going to happen this season in any of the competitions. I've got no idea. And that's why it's back this weekend. I'm excited. It's very exciting. And Liverpool um, Spurs is, is the big one. The other thing I want to talk about is uh, United at home to Watford. Uh, Watford have been brilliant this season. But United look as though they're going to be offering Solskjaer full-time contract yeah. this week, apparently. Yeah, Ooh. get that locked in. Yeah, you would, right? Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was pretty much. It must. I mean, if they're talking about it in the press, these contracts were done before the international break. You know, everything's kind of locked in. He's agreed. He's not going anywhere. He's been laying it on thick ever since he's he has been, been at the club, and he deserves it. So, good luck to him, uh, Gareth. Do you agree with that, or do you have uh, some mad take? I, a mad take, my contrarian That's a take. Question: It's if it wasn't someone with such like affinity for the club, I think I would be dubious. But I, I, I have a thing suspicion it might actually work. I, I don't. Right. I, I think the biggest issue is I don't think he's maybe tactically as nuanced as some other managers. But mm. then he's only been managing for six, seven years. Yeah, you know, he has time to grow into this, and I think that. There are, you know, there's almost that clough-like thing where it's like your love for the club might drive that mm. club forward. You can really take it on through personality. And he's obviously not the same personality as a clough, but, you know, everybody loves him and everybody's on board with him and players are playing for him. And to some extent, even if that's a short to medium-term thing to, you know, to lift United, that might be something. Yeah, it's not going to be 25 years, has it? No. It, can, it can be three, four years... If that, it can still make a huge difference. And the other thing from the, the Glazier side is, I will bet my bottom dollar that he's also going to be the lowest paid Manchester United manager for about 20 years. <laughs> Even including inflation? Including inflation, I bet um, you. So you're a Spurs fan. Who, where have United got to strengthen in their first eleven for you to be scared next season? Uh, two centre-backs. Two centre-backs? Um, yeah, I think so. Because they Grits, need... two centre-backs? Uh, I think Lindelof's a stayer. I think, I, yeah, I think, I think Lindelof's done it. I think you just got to find the right pair. And I think Solskjaer can do a rebranding job on a couple of the defenders. I think that that's what will happen. Because I'm with his mentality, I think some of those players just needed a, a switch in mentality no and he sparked something in them. Uh, whether or not he's been able to do that, because I think Smalling was already locked in on a contract. So if, you got, if you're signing these guys, you've got to give them a chance. Even Phil Jones, I believe he's, he's got, got an extension. So these guys, they've got some sort of faith in them. I don't think they're bad footballers. I just oh, think so. that they're, Are they elite they're much maligned. Um, so two centre-backs for you. Well, I'm, I'm convinced that one of them will be Toby Alvarado. Right, because he is. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he will be. He's available for like twenty-eight million um, as a buyout clause because they extended his contract by a year, which so they could so which unlocked this this buyout yeah. fee. And for Spurs, it makes sense because they have him for his sort of final peak at age thirty. Yeah, and you know 
if you can get 28 million for a fair year old centre back, that's probably pretty good business. Yeah. But then I think for someone like Manchester United, you're like 28 million for a world class centre back is fine. I feel um, like social might just be going ways. for under 27 year olds. I think that's his whole yeah, vibe. Yeah, keep your mentality minute. towards that. But I don't think I think you can mix it with a couple of. The, if you're going to bring yeah. one position in, that could be one. Experience centre yeah. back. How's his injury record been so. the last couple of seasons? Uh, well, he had the one major injury which kind of kept him out um, late last year. Oh, sorry, 2017. So he kind of was out for about four months of a calf injury, right. which is a bit of an issue. But since he won his way back into the team, mm. because he wasn't. I don't think he was expected to stay the summer that's just passed. Yeah. And he sort of won his place back along with Danny Rose. And again, he's kind of looked like yeah. our best player. And it was kind of proof again, people thought that Pochettino was this intransigent manager who, once you fell out of favour of him, you, was you finished, never saw. But, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know, those players are proof that, well, it's either proof that he does change or it's proof that he's a pragmatic manager who realises that players aren't coming in. So you've got to make the best of what you got. Uh, where else have they got to strengthen to uh, threaten Spurs and the rest next season? I think they need that sort of number 10. Right. I love one matter, but I think his time at the club is probably finished. Um, they need someone who can kind of, you know, do the other things that Pogba might not be able to do, which isn't very much. But yeah, I think yeah, either yeah. a schemer towards the back of the midfield or towards the front and just have a bit of variation. Sancho will be interesting. Have you got well, Sancho? yeah, Sancho or Hudson Adoy or one of those guys. Yeah. I feel like they... Um, they seem like the sort of player, the sort of type of player that, that Solskjaer might be might yeah. be looking at, but it's going to cost you a lot of money at the minute. Um, is is I, there I, a future for Fred? Oh, well, based on the PSG game, I'd say yes, but then he followed it up Red. with a really poor. Yeah. Just bang him in the mask. I saw Phil Neville talking about uh, who he would sign if he was United boss, and he was saying, "Yeah, Gareth Bale." Okay. You go, that, that feels like the opposite of a what broken Solskjaer down thirty. Yeah, I mean, United did this thing in the last three or four years of. The sort of the, the the sort of low budget Galacticos, yeah. where they went and got Di Maria and Falcao, and it, it's never going to work. Like it doesn't work like that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, but why would you buy Alexis Sanchez and then two years later almost buy his identical next version of yeah. paying too much for the player whose best is past him? Yeah, it doesn't feel like the the entire project and I hate that word the project that Solskjaer seems to be wanting to try to build was is, to be predicated on younger players is I think. Bale done? I'm just Bale is just not reliable in terms stuck of stuck right into I, him I, well, no, what, what I'm saying is that he would cost you an enormous amount of money and it'd cost you half a million quid a week in wages for a guy that's only playing 25 games a season yeah. that, that's, that's a, as a player absolutely fantastic when he's fit still one of the best players well, in the world I, I feel he has that thing where he's one of his players that is Curse with kind of recurring muscular injuries, and yeah. that doesn't seem to improve as you get older. And a guy that relies on physicality, pace, yeah. and strength and stuff—that's that's not going to—that's not going to end well, I don't think. It'll maybe have a great season or two. And, and also, I, I don't know what golfing is like in a Greater Manchester area, but it's actually pretty good. Okay, well then, maybe maybe that is a good fit for him. <laughs> yeah, it might be. Um, well, on that note, I think that's the end of another fabulous episode yeah. of Whistle. Been lovely being back in the room with you guys. Yeah, we had a bit of time off, didn't we? There, what was yeah. it? Three weeks off? Yeah, it's all it's all down to Leon, producer Leon. Thanks, Leon. Leon's reign of terror yeah. is over. He's back. <laughs> He's back from Germany. Uh, thanks, Gareth. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Martin Gritton, as ever. Thanks, Mark. I've been Mark Smith. Uh, this has been the Whistleblowers. Till next time. Goodbye. The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Ladbrokes. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports
Social Podcast Network.